uh, Psalm or sorry, Isaiah 61. Uh, yeah, we're still talking about good news. Um, still talking about the gospel. Um, but I want to I want to go back to Isaiah 61 for a few minutes. Uh, I'll make our way through a few different passages. So if you have your Bibles, or you have your phones, we we'll go to Isaiah 61, and then. 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings 5, and Luke 4 um, are the places that uh, I'd, love to us, I'd love to take us to this morning. Um, at the time of Isaiah's prophecy, uh, the, the people of God are anticipating the Messiah. They're anticipating this spirit-anointed king. And they're anticipating it because they're desperate for justice. They are desperate um, for that Messiah that would restore this um, ancient idea of Jubilee. And so the idea of Jubilee was that um, I think it was every seven years that all debts would be cancelled. Who would love that? All debts would be cancelled. Everything that was lost would be restored. Uh, all, everyone that was held in slavery would be set free. This was, this was the idea of Jubilee. This was the ancient, um, ancient jubilee that they were longing that Messiah would come. The long anticipated Messiah would come and restore all of that. And so this is where then Isaiah prophesies uh, in Isaiah sixty-one verse one: um, "The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted." to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And it's to proclaim this idea of Jubilee, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To proclaim the year of our Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God. So Isaiah's vision, Isaiah's vision of this day of the Lord will bring justice. But his vision, his idea Isaiah's, what he's prophesying, the idea, the vision that he has when this Messiah comes, that not only will he bring justice, but he will also bring vengeance upon the Gentiles. He will bring vengeance upon the Gentiles. So their longing, the longing of Isaiah and the people of God for was for justice and restoration that was accompanied by a desire for revenge and retribution. So that's the scene. That's the scene set. That's what's going on. But I want to. I want to encourage you. I, I uh, there. That is not um, vengeance. Punishment is not the only lens uh, in the Old Testament for viewing the Gentiles. See what I love about the scriptures. What I love about the the, the story of the Old Testament is that we get, we get to discover this journey that the children of Israel are on, that the people of God are on. And they, they write it down for us. They're, they're discovering the nature of who this God is. Um, and so vengeance and punishment, this idea, that this inkling that we have from Isaiah is not the only lens that we have in the Old Testament, even for viewing the Gentiles, for viewing the supposed enemy. And so that's why I want to go to a few stories to, 
to, to show that. First Kings 17. Um, real professional here. First uh, Kings 17. Let me let me just read it. Um, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Um, then the word of the Lord came. So this is the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Sorry that I'm just landing us right in the middle of a story here, but um, if we read it all, we wouldn't have enough time this morning. Uh, so, so Elijah, prophet of the Lord, um, he finds himself at a brook that's been dried up, and the word of the Lord came to him and says, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. So he called to her and he asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring and said, bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Uh, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord uh, spoken by Elijah. So Elijah is sent, uh, sent to give the miracle of flour and oil. What I would want to suggest to you, um, I've read all of that story, um, to say that this is not just a nice story of provision. I feel like that's probably how I've how I've always read it. It's uh, that this is a nice story of a miracle. It's a nice story. It's an amazing story. Um of the provision of God. But actually, it is disruptive. It is a disruptive text. It is a disruptive story about God's love for Israel's enemies. So they heard about this woman from Sidon. This is where the this is where their enemies came from. This is the people that they would have wanted and expected the vengeance and the retribution of God to be on when the long-anticipated Messiah came. But that's not the only lens we view Gentiles through the Old Testament, because here is a story that is not just a story of miraculous provision. It's also disruptive because it reveals the love that God has for Israel's enemies. And that is more disruptive than maybe we realize. But actually, if we were to go to 2 Kings chapter 5, it's pushed even further. Because maybe it's okay that a poor little widow and her son who have nothing left, uh, well, there's certain sympathy for that, surely. 
But so we get to Second Kings chapter five, and uh, we Elijah is Elijah has moved on. His successor is Elisha, and so it is one thing to have sympathy for a Gentile widow, but this is different altogether. This is Naaman, and Naaman is the general of the feared Syrian army. And I say, I almost reluctantly say this, but there's no there's no better. I can find no better example um, than to say this is like this is like God healing the general of Hamas, and I, I, and I know the sensitivity around that, but that is a, that is almost exactly that what is uh, what is going on here. Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria, the king of Aram. He was a great man. Um, will not read it all, but he had. He had leprosy. Um, and when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent this message. Um, he said, make the man come to me, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So, so Naaman, Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent the messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. Your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. So the story goes on and uh, Naaman, is, Naaman is healed. The story goes on a bit longer, but essentially that's Naaman is healed of his leprosy. And so although there are Bible verses quoted often even today to endorse violence and to endorse vengeance upon enemies, the Bible itself, I think, even in these two stories that we've briefly looked at, is trying to shift. It's trying to completely alter our lust for vengeance, our lust for retribution for our enemies, for those that we disagree with, for those that we don't like to be punished, to be told that they're wrong, to face the consequences for how wrong they are. And so these two stories are told to so that the enemies of God, supposed the enemies of God, are no longer viewed as enemies. And I think I've shared this before, and I still am challenged by this, the idea of asking the question, what is an enemy? And, uh, and we've said, the, we've answered that here before, saying that it's uh, somebody's story who you haven't yet heard. And so I don't know who you're, and I think that's why these stories are told, because we're invited into the story of someone that we haven't heard. We get to identify, we get to hear what's going on in someone else's life, which caused me to ask the question to myself, and I ask it to you, um, maybe maybe enemies is too strong, but I'm sure there are people that you strongly disagree with, that you have strong problems with. And I would want to ask you the question, well, whose, whose story is it that you need to hear? Whose story do we need to hear? And, and as I shared last Sunday, I recommended, um, I recommended a guy to you, a book through our enemy's eyes, a Palestinian and a, um, an Israeli lady that have, have written this amazing book together. Towards the end of one of the chapters, they, they talk about the steps to reconciliation. And I couldn't help but 
uh, think it tied in perfectly with what I'm trying to say here this morning. Because um, their conclusion was that they, for reconciliation to happen, you need to learn one another's history and one another's story. And you need to be able to accept and respect another narrative, another story. So let's 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 take this on. Like hold those stories we've got. Hold Isaiah 61 and the story of the widow and the story of Naaman as we fast forward a number of centuries to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, let's say, let me read verse 17. Verse 16, he went, Jesus, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it was written. It feels really intentional what Jesus is doing here. Um, unrolling it, he found a place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And I can't tell you the amount of times that I've read Luke chapter 4. And um, and I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed what's different between the verse, the verses that we've read in Luke, and the prophecy that Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah sixty-one. But it was incredibly intentional what Jesus left out. See what this is like. I was trying to think of comparisons, and you could probably think of your own one. But I was thinking it's it's like us. If you're an Ireland rugby fan, this will probably suit better than than if you're not but it's like standing singing the anthem shoulder to shoulder and then st the music stops and everybody's at the edge of their seat saying we'll answer Ireland's call We're, why have you left that out it's such an essential part of the anthem and so these the people at the synagogue that Jesus was reading this prophecy to they were incredibly familiar trust me they were incredibly familiar with this prophecy of Isaiah because this is what they were longing for this is what they were waiting for. And Jesus intentionally rolls up the scroll and doesn't read um, the day of vengeance of our Lord. He closes the book. Well, he doesn't close the book. He rolls up the scroll on vengeance. He closes the book. Use a metaphor. He closes the book on vengeance. He closes the book on our lust for retribution and punishment and vengeance for our enemies. This is incredibly intentional, what Jesus was doing. And he is saying, he is saying to those that are listening, he's saying to those in the synagogue, this is being fulfilled in your hearing. This prophecy is being fulfilled in your hearing. The day of the Lord is here. Jubilee is here where all the debts have been canceled, where slaves are being set free. This is the year of the Lord's favor. It's being fulfilled in me. And so the, what was shocking to those listening in, I imagine, was that 
he is saying that it's not just restoration of all that has been lost for for Israel and the children of God and the Jews. It is restoration for everyone. It is restoration even for your enemies. This is being fulfilled. Jubilee is for everybody, even Israel's enemies. And just to continue to show how intentional Jesus was, let's continue to read what 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 happened after he had done this. Uh, everybody still was speaking well of him. Maybe they hadn't caught what he was trying to do, what he was trying to provoke. All spoke well of him, verse 22, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Let, see if you remember these stories. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And so when they heard that, they were furious. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of the town. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Oh, was being stunned by that. What would it have been like to be there when everybody was acclaiming this incredible prophet, this incredible teacher, and within a matter of moments with the telling of two stories, with the retelling of two stories, they are ready to throw him off the edge of a cliff. That is a, that is a big shift in, in mood, in environment. But they turned on Jesus because they would not endorse the idea or the expectation of divine vengeance. Their lust for vengeance, they were waiting for this Messiah to come and to destroy their enemy, to destroy their enemy. And so whenever Jesus is saying to them, provoking them with the, the idea that even your enemies are going to be healed, even your enemies are going to be restored, they cannot cope with that. They don't want to hear that. The challenge, I think, for us today is, as the church, as followers of Jesus, that there is still uh, revenge. There is still a religion of revenge that is prevalent. People today still get angry if you take away their, their religion of revenge. They still get angry when you take away the fact that Jesus made it clear they almost don't like that Jesus made it clear that his favor was for everyone. I think why I wanted to why I wanted to share some of this this morning that this because this is good news for everybody, and the reason why I wanted to share it is because I couldn't help but still reflect on where Tash brought us last uh, last Sunday. She talked about Jonah. See Jonah, like Jonah was no different. Like we can give off about Jonah, but Jonah was probably just saying what everybody else was thinking. He was furious. He was furious that this, his lust for revenge, that the enemies of God, that these Ninevites were not going to be destroyed, that they're not going to face the consequences of what they deserved. And when he realized that God was ready and willing and about to be merciful and gracious to them, 
He threw a hissy fit. He was furious because this lust that he had for revenge was taken away. And I felt like it just, it just, it just lined up with what I wanted to, to share, with what I wanted to try and challenge us with today. He didn't come to bring vengeance, but he came to close the book on it. And I think why what so challenges me about this, and what has so challenged me about this week, is I'm asking myself the question, am I captivated by the radical mercy of God? Because I think until I'm captivated by the radical mercy of God um, that has been extended, I will cling to those texts of punishment. I will go looking for those texts of retribution and vengeance. But there's moments throughout the last couple of weeks that I've tried more than anything to identify myself with the tax collector who was standing with the Pharisee. And the Pharisee was looking at the, far, looking at the tax collector, comparing himself uh, to the tax collector. The tax collector just was so concentrated on the mercy of God. He was just so focused and captivated by his mercy that he beat his chest and just, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want to be so captivated by his mercy that I changes how I view supposed enemies. When it comes to our receiving of the good news, we need to see ourselves. And maybe we all do, but I confess I don't always. There's times that I feel like I need to place myself as we go through the scriptures and we see who it is that we identify with. I want to find myself at times identifying with the widow in Zarephath. I find myself identifying with Naaman, one who was one who was far from God, one who didn't know him, wasn't aware of his kindness, yet he showed it in abundance. I need to see myself. We need to see ourselves as those who need, who desperately need His mercy. And there's those who have received it. And that is incredibly good news. It's incredibly good news for the poor. It's incredibly good news for the blind. Incredibly good news for the oppressed. And that's us. I suppose I want almost for think of something that you would take away. I hope you, something of this challenges us. I want us to continue to to see the kindness and the goodness of his nature. It's evident everywhere. And I know that we can go and find those verses. You will be able to find them that endorse violence and vengeance. But the trajectory of scripture, the trajectory of the ministry and the life of Jesus has taken us away from that and closing the book of that and causing us to recognize he's a God who is merciful to all. The year of the Lord's favor is here. It is, it is, it is present now. And it is to see all restored is to see all receive his mercy it's to see all set free and so it's good news for everyone and i'd love it to challenge this is the ongoing challenge for me that it would it would change the lens that i view others it would change the lens that i view those as that would maybe be considered as as enemy and so i pray this week you go and listen to some stories that you never thought you'd be listening to, even if you disagree with them. 
even if you disagree with them, go and listen to the stories and recognize that his grace and his mercy has been given to all. So Father, please help us. Jesus, please help me. Help us just this ongoing discovery like those uh, of ancient times as they were on this journey of discovering who you truly were. They didn't always get it right. But thank you, Jesus, you revealed perfectly how it was all pointing towards you. Well, we've came to the table today, the ultimate place of mercy and grace, where you're still, in spite of all that had taken place, your disposition towards your enemy was forgiveness, was kindness, was mercy. And so, Jesus, we want to be ones that would take up the baton, would take up the call to be like you. So, God, would you open the eyes of our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts that we would see you. And as you open the eyes of our hearts, God, it would, it would change how we see ourselves, it would change how we see those around us, those that are friends, those that are enemies. God, you would touch our eyes that we would see. In Jesus' name, amen.